Well, hello everyone again. Welcome to the show. Have your coffee, your water, whatever it is you're drinking ready, and I'm going to take a sip. You do too. Mmm. I can't wait to tell you about this show, but first of all, let me just start by sharing with you how excited I am that my book, Monday Morning Leadership for Women, is now a full-on eight-week course. If you want to know more about it, go to my website and you'll see the agenda. And I'd love to have you as just a limited amount of women on the cohort. So check it out, will you? I want to thank my sponsor today, Taylor Bags. Oh my gosh, what an incredible line of handbags. These are all designed to keep up with your busy lifestyle. And every style in the collection is, oh, it's made with buttery soft leather and colors that are absolutely outstanding. I love them, and you're going to want to check them out. So you just go to following her at Shop Stephanie Taylor, and they're available to purchase on her website, taylorbags.com. Okay, let's get started. Well, you know, this show is all about authenticity. Every show now for four and a half years ongoing about authenticity. That's my passion, always has been, working with leaders, emerging leaders, and senior leaders, making sure that they just stay who they are and real. Well, I'm thrilled to tell you today that my guest is Greg Lavoie, and he has written several books. The one we're going to talk about today is called Callings, Callings, Your Callings, Your Purpose, Finding and Following an Authentic Life. Just a little bit about Greg before we get into the intro, which is he is a behavioral specialist, and he has been that specialist at USA Today. He's a regular contributor for Psychology Today, and he's appeared on ABC, CNN, NPR, and PBS, and now he's with us today. So I'm going to ask Greg a lot of questions to help us examine how do we know if we are following our calling. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Welcome, Greg Lavoie, to the show. Thank you, Valerie. Delighted to be here. And you are from where? Where are you sitting today? I am sitting in Santa Cruz, California. <laughs> I just had to ask because I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> but I it's have, a lovely You know, California is just known for the weather. I have to tell you, I'm grateful that today in the background you can see Dallas has some California-like weather. Is that okay nice. with you? Very nice. <laughs> Greg, let's talk about your book. Um, first of all, it's a big, thick book. And mm. I have tabbed it because... I was fascinated. I was fascinated what's in it. I just want to ask you, why did you write it in the first place? <laughs> why did I write it? Well, 
Um, several things. Um, I remember running across years ago an Italian writer by the name of Alberto Moravia. And I'd never heard of him before, but I read some of his stuff. And one of the things that jumped out at me was a comment that he made that it was important in life, he thought, to pursue the one problem you were born to understand. And um, I loved that idea and kind of noodling on that idea. And I think that's one of my answers to your question. Um, I have had a lifelong fascination with how people create a life that really belongs to them and isn't a knockoff or a hand-me-down. Um, partly I say that because I come from a family that had a family business and all the men in that family for three generations went into that business, uh, except me. And my two brothers. And uh, as a result, the business was sold out of the family when my dad retired. And as a result, he also cut all three of us out of his will. So I learned a little earlier in life than I planned to some of the sacrifices that can ensue from following your authentic path. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so as an author, myself, Greg, on this book, you've written others, on this book, what did it do for you? Oh, that's a wonderful question. What it did for me was help me drill down into the process that I had lived through um, in order to stay true to my, to true north. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me just understand all the decisions and all the mindsets that went into creating that kind of a life uh, where I, there was a, match between who I am and what I do. So that that process of creating that book really helped me articulate and explore. And then I had a sense, of course, that this was something that other people probably go through as well. And maybe I can be of service. Well, you definitely are of service. I want to tell the audience how I met you, Greg. Uh, we were in San Diego not so long ago at a wonderful conference. Uh, called Career uh, Symposium, put on by Marie Zimanoff with Career Thought Leaders, is his her organization. And you were by far the number one, in my mind and many others' minds, incredible speaker. You did a whole workshop for us, and I have all my notes. Mm. They're all, your principles are in here. I just want to ask you, what of everything you've written in here, what's the main message that you want my audience to get from the book? Now, I want audience, I want you to go buy the book because it really is good. You've seen my tabs. But is there one main message that you just mm, blares out of this book? Mm. Wow. Um, if I've got to drill it down to one message, I would say, it's about the importance, the value of having an ongoing self-reflective practice in your life so that you are really striking up a, an intimate conversation at any given point with yourself, uh, because that's really the source of the calls that we get. Even those who believe that they come from God, um, I think that comes through us as well. Uh, in the sense that there's perhaps thy will be done, but there's also my will be done. Mm. And I think the only thing, the only way anything actually gets done is our will be done. But nonetheless, you've got to have the receivers turned on. You've got to have the antenna up 
in order to really discern what the calls are that are coming through you, no matter what you consider their source to be. So that would be probably the main point is listen down deep and listen regularly. Mm -hmm. Self-reflection. All right. Yeah. So I want to stay on that for a minute. Uh, I am a woman of faith and I believe in prayer. And to your point, I also believe in watching for the breadcrumbs along the path that yeah. I don't want to miss. So, uh, Ziggy, it was interesting. You and I were talking before uh, Greg came on, and you and I were talking about situations where you get into and are not sure they're for you. Would you ask Greg that question yourself? Uh, of, of course. So the the question that I have for you, Greg, is we all in life have false starts or, or paths that we go down that we think uh, this is where we are going to end up or this is where we have always wanted to be. And a lot of the time we find that that's actually not quite accurate, right? That this isn't exactly what I expected. So I guess my question is, when we find ourselves in a new situation like that, what are some of the signs that we can look out for? Or, or what are some of the emotions that we might feel that would be indicators that maybe this situation isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be? Maybe this isn't the right spot for me to be in. Mm. Well, that's a wonderful question, Ziggy. Um, you know, it's funny, I'm almost tempted to flip the question on its head just a little bit um, and share the signs that you are on the right path. And anything that doesn't match with that perhaps would be an answer to your direct question. Um, because this is something I've asked everybody that I've ever interviewed on their sense of calling and mission and purpose is how did you know? How did you figure out of all the possible paths you could pick in this life? How did you know that this was the right path? And the answers to that question have been so incredibly consistent over the decades that I, I, I'm just going to literally list them for you. That The ways that people said, I, know, I knew that the call was true, that it was the right path for me, is uh, it kept coming back. It kept coming to me from a lot of different directions. In other words, not just an idea I picked out of an occupational handbook or something one afternoon. It comes at me through the books that mysteriously make their way onto my night table, the section of the bookstore I always walk into first when I walk into a bookstore, um, dreams, what body symptoms, um, body signals, um, the kind of conversations you most love to have with people. And In other words, there's a clustering effect. And then you got to kind of connect the dots. Uh, people said they knew calls were true when um, they felt in line with your deepest values, when they brought a lot of energy out of you, when you weren't annoyed by the fact that every single calling involves its version of licking stamps and stuffing envelopes. <laughs> You know, um, no matter how exalted and romantic and exciting and outright cool any particular path feels, they've all got that. And when you don't mind 
um, the mundane tasks that are involved in bringing any calling to fruition in the world, that's a diagnostic that you're on the right path. In other words, one of the things I do is I'm a speaker in addition to being a writer. What getting speaking gigs involves is a tremendous amount of marketing. Not necessarily my favorite part of the job, but I don't resent it. I'm good at it. And that's part of getting to do what I love to do. All right. Anybody who's ever been in a band uh, or performed in a play knows that the equation of uh, time spent rehearsing compared to performing is like 90-10. Right. But the fact that you don't mind rehearsing the same chords, the same lyrics, the same lines, you know, for thousands of hours for the chance to go public a tenth of the time is another diagnostic, all right? Um, one more maybe that comes to mind, two more. Um, people said they knew the call was true for them when it scared them. Mm. I, was, I just mentioned that because I'm impressed by how many people said something like that. So they, it means I'm scared because I'm close to something vital, all right? And the last one is that People said they knew the call was true rather than false because um, no, ultimately the only way they figured that out was in the results, meaning that you got to be willing to try these paths out, go down the path, uh, even when you're not sure it's the path and just take field notes, you know, um, look at the feedback your life gives you as you take steps toward whatever it is. So hopefully some of those responses will also respond to your question about how you know when it's not true, because they'd be sort of the opposite of some of those diagnostics. Oh, very much so. Thank you for that. That was yeah. in in answering the the positive, you have filled in the negative. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's a positive thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just that's satisfying. <laughs> you know, I get my best questions from audience, from real people before when I say I'm going to have you on. And uh, one of them is about what you have to give up. In fact, in your book, and I'm going to refer to it, page 264, need my glasses. Okay, the chapter says, Greg, <laughs> sacrifice the shadow of the calling. Mm. And I wanna read what you said here because I think we should address this. You said, you know, faith will eventually ask for the ask of the faithful, quote, what are you willing to give up in order to follow your call? Mm -hmm. Says Thomas More, sacrifice is the shadow in the calling. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um I wanted to address that subject just because I think a lot of people I ran across, myself included sometimes, believe that once you say yes to your designated path, once you honor your proverbial marching orders and say yes to yourself and to the universe and to God, mm -hmm. um, that the doors will all swing open. <laughs> <laughs> and the bluebird of happiness will alight on your shoulder and, uh, you know, the way will just open up. And it does that sometimes but very often it does not. And you are tested um, on your commitment and your courage and your convictions. And so I just wanted to honor that sacrifice is part of following a calling because a call by definition calls you away from the status quo. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. whatever that happens to be. Um, you know, I went to Morocco years ago, uh, first time I'd ever been in a Muslim country, and I got a chance to see the criers up on top of the minarets. Okay, sort of a famous archetype of the of the Arabic world. And what that what's going on there is that five times a day you are called away from whatever you're doing, mm. whether it's tending to the mules or hammering copper pots or taking tourists around town. And you are supposed to stop what you're doing, literally turn your back on it and face toward Mecca to pray. And so the the original definition of a calling was to pull you away from the familiar, even temporarily. And that's scary because what if the calls you get are telling you that whatever you're doing right now in your life, you need to change up or leave behind, uh, in a sense, turn your back on. That's scary to people. And But the beauty is that the word sacrifice means to make sacred. That's an important reframe in all of this, because the point is it's calling you into a sacred frame of mind uh, or back to your faith in yourself, in your gifts, in the universe, in other people, um, and calling you towards service. So there's something wonderful about sacrifice. It's not just virgins into volcanoes, <laughs> you know, um, or pain and deprivation and bloodletting and what, you know, these are the attitudes we have, in fact, the words we have to describe our perception of sacrifice, but it also means to connect with the divine or whatever is sacred in you. And that's an important thing to remember in going through whatever you have to sacrifice to make the call happen. What did you have to sacrifice? Whoa! In order to follow one of the big calls in my life, which was to leave employment for self-employment, as a writer, mm -hmm. uh, in other words, quit my job as a reporter and be a freelance writer, uh, which is not exactly a decision designed to reassure your parents. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, I had to let go of a regular paycheck. Um, I had a pension coming in two years if I could hang in there, which I could not. Um, I had to let go of medical benefits uh, never mind that the only reason I was using them was my job was making me sick. Um, you know, I had to let go of the the familiarity of the of the office and the community there, uh, the water cooler scene, um, and uh, I had to step out into the unknown. And the, one of the first things I did on my own behalf when I became a freelancer was I slapped up on the wall in my new office in California. Um, because I'd moved from Cincinnati, a, a, one of these really old maps of the world where at the edges of the known world, the old cartographers used to draw monsters and dragons and such. And I put it up there just to remind myself that I was not a coward for being afraid of the unknown. And that is something callings will call you into, again, almost by definition. And I just put it up there to remind me I'm I'm not being cowardly by being afraid of this. This is human nature to be scared of what's outside um, the fire pit, the village. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of things I had to give up to make that happen. And lots of things I benefited from, of course. I love that story. I just <laughs> love that story, Greg, mm -hmm. because so many people I find in uh, the coaching world is that let's just call it golden handcuffs yeah there's a lot of people with golden handcuffs and then there's this great resignation i mean 
you're talking to an audience that's probably all nodding their head as I am <laughs> right now for those who can see me. And one of the things that was uh, really cool, I thought, in your book was the physicality of how you said you can help yourself break out. Uh, you talked about in the book, maybe you have to physically go uh, out in the yard. You're smiling. Yeah, yeah. You remember this? Uh, I do. And build, you know, put a bunch of rocks in the yard. And when you get determined enough, I was just visualizing this as I read it, that you need to make a break. Everything about you is calling you to move out and move forward. And you said, go up to those rocks or sticks or whatever and just start kicking them. It's like, I loved that. And you had lots of examples. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The one that I actually did was I, I identified. And, and my point in this is um, ritualize uh -huh. your intention, actually bring it down from the abstract uh, into the body, into the physical world, like you said. Uh -huh. um, and one of the things I did is I made a list of the obstacles between me and being a freelancer. And um, and I wrote them with a black uh, magic marker on a bunch of rocks, and I set them out in the backyard, and I leapt over them. <laughs> you know, to symbolize leaping over obstacles. Now, Great. this is not the actual leaping over the obstacle, but there's something really powerful about embodying it, mm -hmm. not just thinking about it in the abstract, but embodying it. So um, ritual, find ways of ritualizing whatever your intention is. I think that's great. <laughs> My mind is spinning on that one. My mind is spinning. So I'm going to move to some fun things, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Glad you're sitting down. What's the most <laughs> thrilling thing you've done? Thrilling? Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, m one of the most thrilling things I think I've ever done was scuba diving into an undersea research habitat and living there for three days. What? This was an article for Omni Magazine, remember old popular science magazine, yes. on an undersea research habitat that was nailed to the ocean floor in the Caribbean, in the West Indies. And I did a story on what it was like for these scientists to live aboard um, essentially something the size of an RV, not an RV, a mobile home. Um, anchored to the ocean floor. And I went in and I dove and I stayed in it with them. That was incredibly thrilling. So some of the things I've gotten to do as a result of following my call, the call to curiosity, which is really the bedrock of my professional life as a reporter and as a writer and as a teacher is curiosity. Mm. So I got to follow that into some very exciting situations. And that's one of your top takeaways that you said. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I, I can't even imagine going into the ocean. All right, what do you do for entertainment? Entertainment? Oh, wow, that covers the waterfront. Um, the first <laughs> thing that comes to my mind, well, yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind actually is playing the piano, which is one of my great, great loves in life is, is uh, creating music. And um, another version of that, a much more communal version of that is um, drum circles. Um, I was part of one in Asheville, North Carolina, where I lived before I moved to California every Friday night for um, 16 years. It was one of the highlights of my social life is three or four hundred people 
um, right in a little park in downtown, would get together and create spontaneous music together. And it was a fantastic experience of nonverbal communication, collective effervescence. Um, that's a term I borrowed. Um, and just community building. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So many um, stories. You've got another book in you with your stories. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of going to Buenos Aires some years mm. ago, walking down any street almost, and people would instantaneously, a man and a woman, grab each other and start tangoing. Uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, I was so sorry he didn't get me because I would have tangoed. <laughs> But right. just, just the kind of some of the things we're talking about, instantaneous curiosity. Uh, passion. Passion, right. Expensiveness. Do we give ourselves permission to do the silly things that bring us joy? Uh, sometimes and very often not. And very often the culture around us doesn't give us permission either. Is one of the reasons I love the drum circle is we just created our own environment where permission was um, let her rip, be yourself, <laughs> express yourself, let your backbone slip. Let her rip. Like, okay, yeah. that's great. Here's another one. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Whoa. Worst advice. Um, hmm. Don't leave your job as a reporter to be a freelance writer because you will find your a uh, bank account shot and your journalism career behind you. Mm. Well, you uh, proved them well. And I got quite a bit of that kind of advice when I was thinking of following that call, mm. as many of us will when we think about following calls that take us a little bit left of center or right of center. I don't mean that as a political um, commentary. You know, anytime we step beyond the comfort zone, beyond what's sort of acceptable behavior, whether it's in your family or your gender or your religion or anything else, um, you're gonna start hearing that kind of stuff from other people. And half the time, I think it's because by following your authentic path, your integrity, your passion, you're kind of holding up a mirror in front of other people and they have to look at themselves. And am I following my calls? And if if not, why not? And it's easier to, to um, tell you, you know, play, they play devil's advocate, you know, and it's always a little heavy on the devil and a little light on the advocate, the way people ask these questions, but you, you got to gird yourself for some of the feedback you're going to get some of the um, advice you're going to get from people because it's not necessarily going to serve you. That's, uh, that's very sage thoughts. Yeah. And it goes back yeah. to You've got to be curious and then be willing to take a step. You said curiosity is the superpower. Yeah, I would say, I would say that's one of mine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, we, and we can all have it. That's the good thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We can and all in have fact, it. that's one of the. That's another one of the things I say to look at um, in terms of discerning what your calls are. Is what are you deeply curious about? What are you fascinated by? What can you talk about for hours on end? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are you excited to learn about next? So some, those are some of the questions that might lead people to what their calls are. You know, Greg, on that note, some people will say and have said it to me, I can't go for 
it. I can't step out and. And so I'll share with you what I've said, and then I'd like your take on it. And, of course, tell okay. me I'm right. <laughs> and that is maybe you can't step out completely, but what can you do in the periphery? Let me mm. give you an example. I was working for 10 years with a financial services organization, and this question came up. And the answer was, I can't possibly leave this high-paying job. So what would you say to someone who feels stuck financially? They have a family. Hmm. Exactly. Um, I would say honor that. I mean, at, at one point in your life, that was probably a calling as well. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't just um, kind of up and leave them just like that with impunity. You have a family, you've got kids in college at $50,000 a pop. Um, you know, you've got a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact is, uh, I can't is in many cases more an opinion than a fact. Um, I understand that that logic. Uh, well, I can't possibly X, you know, I can't possibly do X, Y, or Z. Um, and I think part of it is just honoring that voice, honoring your responsibilities, honoring your commitments, honoring your fears. Um, and the other side is, well, let's imagine for a moment that I can do X, Y, or Z. Um, and then let those two voices talk to one another on the page, in front of a computer, don't take your fingers off the keyboard for like 30, 45 minutes and let the two of them just talk to one another, all right? Um, and just see what happens, what comes out of that conversation. Because it's important to, and I'm really looking at this in my own life in the last few years, is what are the stories that I tell myself? Mm -hmm. What are the stories? Where do they come from? Um, what have what have the consequences have been of those stories for, the, for better and for worse in my life? Um, are they true? And how true are they? And I'm really starting to sort of deconstruct some of the stories that I have in my life that fall under the heading of I can't, hmm. many of them, and really starting to drill down into them and look at how true that actually is. Because if I take even one step toward whatever it is I'm, I've convinced myself I can't do, and then I look at the feedback that I get from my life and I feel expansive. That's a really important piece of, of data right there. Um, I'm not saying it's gonna make it ultimately easy or easier to leave a toxic job or get out of a toxic marriage or move across the country or start up a startup, um, but it's gonna give you some information that you didn't have before when you really begin to question the I cannot story. Um, but again, a gracious bow to how compelling those stories are in our lives, um, to say nothing of how long-term some of them are. Goodness, I wish there were this were a three-day <laughs> vlogcast, Greg. <laughs> that's, that's really very, very uh, inspiring, I would say. Mm. Wonderful. And here's a, here's a statement that I read in the book. It's actually on the back of it I thought was compelling and it says a calling may be to do something or it may be just to be something yeah so that puts a whole nother spin you're not saying you have to go do anything it's mm -hmm. just 
as you say, having self-reflection always. We don't take time to just get away. Mm. As an example, when I went to see you at San Diego at this conference, beautiful ocean right there, as you well know. And I made sure, because I'm like most of us, I'm a get down and get her done kind of person. Mm. And Greg, one of those days, don't tell the conference planner, I just stayed in the room until noon, thought, well, I'm hungry, I'll go eat, and then I'll go to your workshop. <laughs> but I allowed myself to do what you're saying, and I want the audience to do the same thing. Take time to self-reflect. You may wow. not get anything out of it at the moment, but you're allowing the brain to breathe in some curiosity, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. That reminds me of a woman that I did a phone consultation with some years ago. She was convinced that um, she couldn't quit her job to move out to Los Angeles to become an actress. This was what she had believed was a calling. She was living in Nashville at the time, um, leave her job there, move out to LA, become an actress. And she came to me for kind of what she called a reality check. And in the course of the conversation, I think it became clear to her or to both of us that the call wasn't necessarily to go out to LA to be an actress. The call was to be more creative expressive she just her brain constellated that the epitome of a creative expressive life is being an actress um so one of the things we ended up doing was looking at asking the sort of the brainstorming question and the the, the central brainstorming question is in how many ways can i and so what we had her doing was in how many ways can i practice being more expressive in my life and so she was building up this muscle that was, I think, really ultimately the real call was to be more expressive in her life, not necessarily um, to kind of atomize that into a job as an actress in Los Angeles. So that opens the whole thing way up rather than I can't quit my job to do X is what is the call underneath that? Mm. If there is one expressiveness or creativity, or in my case, curiosity or um, nurturing, it could be any one of a number of things, uh, one of the being calls that you were highlighting. Mm -hmm. um, and then ask yourself, in how many ways can I practice that being call, being more curious, being more creative? Um, and just, again, let take six months and let that expand out into your life and just see what happens. You don't have to quit your job, but experiment with the call sort of beneath the call and see what that tells you. Well, and Greg, to your point, it does mean you've got to have some time away for yourself. Yes. It doesn't have to be a vacation. Right. Just, you know, in the morning, just uh, being quiet, having a devotion, reading a meditation book. Uh, exactly whatever it is but yeah. we're in this hurry up got to get her done kind of world and yeah. that is a major point and, and the ancient teachings all say the same thing the spiritual teachings when it comes to discerning what your calls are they all at some point in the game say you need to um, be still and know yeah. okay or just sit down and shut up <laughs> <laughs> um it, and they all say it is one must be still and just um, 
be willing to receive yeah. um, the whatever, uh, allow some space for the call to kind of meet you, come to you, arise from you. Um, that's tough to do in busyness as usual. It is. This has been fascinating, Greg. I knew it would be. I was just so drawn to everything you said in that workshop. Thank you for what you're giving to the world. Mm, you're uh, welcome. I really enjoyed this book. And again, I'm going to hold it up. I have to ask you a, a, a fun question about the book, by the way. <laughs> if you were to, uh, well, would you consider, this is 25 years old and it's a classic, would you consider redoing it in a way, changing it? Um, yeah, I, I have thought about updating it. A lot has happened in 25 years, but I think one of the main things I, I would probably change is um, I would add into the discussion um, some cultural differences. Mm. Uh, my whole approach, uh, given the culture that I was raised in, uh, brined in, <laughs> is uh, individualistic culture as opposed to a collectivist culture like say asian cultures i had a young woman come up to me at a university years ago and say loved your presentation it's culturally biased um, toward individual uh, goals she said i'm from the philippines and in my culture things like callings have to be considered with sometimes a whole village in mind and I would probably add that conversation into the book if I were to update it is the difference between a rugged individualistic culture like ours and collectivist cultures where um, goals are have to include the sort of community property yeah. in a sense. Um, I would probably add that in. Well, um, I would ask you to do that. Write <laughs> another book. Half the size. Do you know how long it took me to get through this book? Oh, <laughs> I won't wow. even tell you. But I will say I'm just so grateful that you brought it to me at that conference and that it is as good as it is. And, Greg, thank you so much for being with me today. I don't want our relationship to stop. We'll stay in touch, okay? Okay. I would love that. Thanks so much. And thanks for your good work in the world. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. And thank you in the background, uh, Ziggy, for your support and your help. <laughs> He's the best. And we Great. can get in touch with you where? Oh, uh, World your... Headquarters is my probably my website, which is just greglavoy.com. All right. G-R-E-G-G, two G's, So, audience, if you see a speaking opportunity, this man is, is really incredible, and his workshop is unbelievable. So thank, thank you, Greg, so much. And stay tuned for a moment longer, because I always end the show with a Valerie-ism. And okay. so here it is today. A smile is a curved line that can make a lot of things straight. Oh. And I, I wanted to give this to uh, today because on a flight recently, and it was the flight to San Diego, I had a couple of incidents that could have been uh, disturbing to me or irritating and what have you. And Frankly, one of them was simply a little child that was a little loud. And this was a, what, Dallas to San Diego, two and a half, three hour flight. And you know what I did that stopped it? I did nothing except turn around 
and smile at the mom and at the little child. And you know what? He stopped. She gave him some things to do. And all I did was smile. Mm. So a smile has a lot of messages, doesn't it, Greg? And in that case, set things straight. Yeah, it's that's right. Thank you so <laughs> much. And audience, be sure and stay tuned for the next show. We always have fascinating guests like Greg Lavoy. And I just want to leave you with, again, Monday Morning Leadership for Women that is going to be and is being developed now an incredible eight-week course that I can bring into your company. You will love it, women. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's got a lot of content. Yes, it covers things in the book and so much more. So go to my website and stay tuned. It's coming. Until next time, have a super good week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.